This morning, if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of Romans today. Actually, Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> and as I was thinking about the message today, I was thinking of specifically of our graduates, our young people today, as they grow up in this culture. I'd like to give you one of two words this morning. I'd like you to pick one. And don't think about it too much. Just think about how it sounds or how it feels to you. Here's the two words. <clears throat> Conforming or transforming. Which word do you like better? Do you like the word being conformed or do you like the word being transformed? So many like conformed. <clears throat> okay, nobody likes that word. <clears throat> I won't make you raise your hand on the second one because I'm assuming that is probably the word. You know, when I think of the word conforming, I think of I, I think of confining. It's very it's very close to confining for me. I think in conforming, I think of kind of being forced to become like the status quo, like everybody else. I think of not unique. Uh, just kind of boring, conforming. That's what I think about when I hear that word. When I hear the word transforming, I think of something exciting, even though I don't know what that might be, but transforming, it feels like change. It feels like power. It feels like going somewhere. It feels like becoming something. And so one of the questions, and this is the question that I'm asking this morning is, is do you want to live a conformed life or do you want to live a transformed life? Because there's a choice. There is a choice that you have. And I'd like you to think about that choice with me this morning. I'd like you to think about those two words. So we're going to walk through this text in Romans chapter 12. And I'd like to read that text because it uses these varying words that we're talking about this morning. Just a couple of verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform. Really means there. Do not be being conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So there you have it. There's the choice as clear as you could hear it. You can either live a life that's being conformed or you can live a life that's being transformed and you will live one or the other. We all live one or the other. So let's kind of walk through this text because it's very insightful. Paul has been talking for 11 chapters in this book. And we can't ignore those 11 chapters because he, he writes in chapter 12, therefore. And so if we're going to know it's therefore, we have to look back and realize that he's been, he's been leading up to this. And he's talking here. The first phrase is just, now I urge you, in view of God's mercy. 
And so, really, that's what he's been talking about for the first 11 chapters. He's been talking about God's, about God's mercy. And so, if you're going to understand this issue of being conformed or being transformed, you have to do it in view of God's mercy. You can't do it apart from God's mercy. Because apart from God's mercy, there is only one choice, and you are, you are bound to a life of con- being conformed. Without God's mercy, you see what God's mercy did was gave us the option of transformation. So without it, all you can do is be conformed to the pattern of this world. And that will happen in your life. And it may look different in different of our lives, but it's still the same conforming work going on in our lives. So we don't have time to go through all this, but if you were to go back and you read the first three chapters of Romans, Paul starts, he talks about the Gentiles and how they have turned away from God and they've been given a, you know, they've been, their mind is depraved and they have abandoned God. And then in chapter 2, he turns to the Jews who are kind of sitting there by this time going, yeah, God, give it to them, those pagan Gentiles. And, and in chapter 2, Paul starts it off and he says, and you, he's talking to the Jews now, he says, you have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge others, you judge yourself. When you pass judgment, you who pass judgment, you do the same things. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we live in this culture where people, if you were to ask people today, most people would say they're relatively good, but they make mistakes. People are relatively good, but they make mistakes. That is the predominant belief in the culture of our day. And so Paul here is addressing this up front. And and this is what he writes by the end of chapter 3. He says, and I'm quoting now, There is no one righteous, not even one. No one understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, all have become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And so that's you. And that's me this morning. Paul shuts everybody up. And so how does God respond to this rebellion against him? How does God respond to this sin in our lives? Well, there's two responses. One is hell. And that is a place where all sin will be, you know, the devil will be thrown there, the demons, and all who have sinned, the wages of sin is death. So there is hell and there is Christ. And, I mean, this book is about the amazing story of, you know, in a nutshell, this book is about how God came and offered us mercy through Christ. Offered us his own righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, through what Christ did on that cross. In fact, Paul, in Romans 5, Paul writes it like this. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the mercy that God is talking about. That's the mercy that God is talking about 
that he has extended to each one of us. And so what Paul's saying here, in view of this act of mercy, in view of this act of mercy, that God has given you the gospel, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to offer your bodies, notice there in verse 1, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. So offer your bodies as sacrifices to God. They're living sacrifices. They're holy sacrifices. They are pleasing sacrifices. So why should we, why should we offer our bodies to God? Well, we do this in view of God's mercy, and this is what's true in view of God's mercy. 1 Corinthians 6, notice these words. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Let me just read those. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So the point here is that you know, God purchased us with his blood and so our bodies don't belong to us. And so Paul here is saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. If we go back to Romans, there's a very clear commentary on this in chapter 6. He writes this. Chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. He says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. There's that word again, of offering ourselves as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. And so what we have here is we have you know, he's talking about our, our behaviors, our hands and our feet and our mouths. When he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You, you've probably heard of the, the chicken and the, the pig that were walking down the road, and there was a sign. It said, ham and eggs, $2.99. Chicken said, hey, let's go in and make a donation. Pig said, well, that's easy for you to say. For you, that's a donation. For me, that's a total sacrifice. And so we see here that, that he's talking about offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the reason it's living is because it's ongoing. It's ongoing. And so we are, are called here. He says a living sacrifice. He says a holy sacrifice, which means it's set apart for God's purposes. I mean, you can ask yourself these questions as we walk through this. Is, is your life set apart for God's purposes? I mean, if, as you think about your life, would you say, my life is set apart for God's purposes? It's pleasing to God. It brings great pleasure to God. So, offer your bodies, living, holy, pleasing to God, and then he says, this is your spiritual worship. In other words, this is how you worship God. You know, often we think, when we have pictures of worship, we think of a group of people uh, in some room and everyone's lifting their hands to God and they're singing and they're worshiping God. 
And what he says here is, you know, when you present yourself, your body as a living sacrifice to God, that is one of the greatest acts of worship that you can ever do. Okay, now we come to these two words. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. It's impossible to be offering your body as a living sacrifice and to be conforming to the pattern of this world. Now, I think it's interesting that Paul doesn't say, don't be conformed to the patterns, but he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And so what's he talking about here? What, what is the pattern of the world that we're not to be conformed to? Now, people will say, you know, I, I, I'm not a conformist. Uh, I don't conform. I'm, I'm just me. I'm unique. I, I'm, I, I just, I'm my own person. I'm not a conformist. Well, let's look at what the pattern is here, and then we'll come back to that statement. If we look at the very first chapter of Romans, I think we see the pattern that Paul's talking about. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, verses 21 and 22. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds, animals, and reptiles. And so we see here that what happens in the world is that, is that the world ceases to live for the glory of God. It says they, they cease to, to live for God's glory. The world does not live for the glory of God. The pattern of the world is to live for one's own glory one's own desires. And so, again, in that same chapter, we move on a little farther. It says, therefore, in light of this, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, degrading of their bodies. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who's forever to be praised. They worshiped sex and they worshiped things, which is the predominant theme of I mean you can look back through history as a culture moves from God these things become preeminent in the culture the elephant in the room today the elephant in the room in teen culture is pornography it is rampant it is it is highly ingrained in teen culture today. One in three viewers of porn today are female, by the way. And what has happened in the teen culture is that pornography has now become the primary educator of young males as to what sexuality is and what it looks like. For females, porn has become what their boyfriends expect. And it will it is taking an, an incredible toll 
on uh, young adolescents' understanding of relationships and what they look like and, and what they are about. Uh, there was an article in the New York Times. This is based on interviews and exchanges with nearly 100 suburban teenagers. Opens a window into a world of sexual encounters devoid of emotional connection, of casual uh, uh, assignments arranged via cell phone, and deliberately divorced from dating or romance. Here's a 16-year-old. He says, being in a real relationship just complicates everything. You feel obligated to be all, like, coupley. And that gets really boring after a while. When you're friends with benefits, you go over, hook up, then play video games and something. It really rocks. The article goes on. I don't have time to go through the entire article. But <coughs> he writes in the, in the article, when the sentiment of people, or what people remember as central when they look back on their high school and college, he's saying what they remember are the emotional experiences, the glow and learning that a romantic interest shared, the giddy feeling of falling in love, the heartache of breaking up, what helps shape us is emotional connection in real relationships, relationships that let us grow, develop, learn, and mature. That's why it's truly sad to read of a high school generation too detached to date, too indifferent for romance, too distant for commitment, and why it's hard to believe that the physical and the emotional can truly be compartmentalized, that two teenagers can be friends with benefits but without psychological consequences, that hooking up can reduce sex to a pure physical transaction without scarring the psyche or the soul. Romans tells us that when we no longer live, in essence, for the glory of God, when people say, you know what, I just, I just want to be me, that God says, okay, you can be you. Go ahead. I will let you be you. And so we see here that the essence of this pattern that Paul is talking about is he is challenging us that you and I are created to live for the glory of God, and when we start living for something else, then God lets us live for that, whatever it is. Whatever it is that we choose to live for other than the glory of God. It can be sexuality, it can be money, it can be things, it can be popularity, it can be a hundred different things. But whenever we live for whatever that is, it becomes our God. We worship it. And we need to be awfully careful about what we worship. Because when you play out what you worship in the end, you'll be left with what you worship. Paul goes on and he says, but. Paul says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. No amount of moralism or education will do this. Transformation takes place through the Spirit and through the Word of God. You see, there's a problem with our minds. We're born with this mindset. We're born with a bent. Romans talks about it. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. In Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Romans 1.28, we see 
says, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. So God gives us over to a depraved mind, and that's the problem with our minds. Our, we live in deceit. They are depraved. Uh, we become, the scripture says, we become fools. And that mindset is rooted in the hardness of our heart. When we cease to live for the glory of God and instead live for our own self. Paul says when you invite the Spirit of God into your life, when you submit your life to live for the glory of God and Christ comes in and you expose yourself to the Word of God, then your mind becomes renewed and as your mind is renewed, you become, and there's a word, you become transformed. And what the, the, the essence of that transformation is that now you begin to live your life for the glory of God. That's what the transformation is. To be conformed is to live your life for the glory of yourself. To be transformed is to live your life for the glory of God. And when we live our lives for the glory of God, there's a radically, radically different life that we live. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You know, without giving yourself as a living sacrifice and having your mind renewed, you can never really know what the will of God is. This is how we discern what God's will is. <clears throat> I want to show you a short clip, and, and then I'm going to conclude. Uh, this is from the movie To, uh, to Save a Life. I'd like you to just watch this whole clip. <clears throat> Jake, how long you been out here? The whole time. Why didn't you come inside? I don't know. Just not sure. About what? I believe that you believe, but why are there so many fakers in there? I know there's fakers in the group, Jake, but so does God. I don't know, I guess there's always gonna be people who are afraid and willing to settle. But you know, that's not what it's about. It's about you, what are you gonna do? I say that I don't wanna settle. Is it worth it? Yeah, I mean, I was asking a lot of the same questions you are. You know, but at some point, you got to ask yourself, what do you want your life to be about? I spent a lot of years trying to figure this out, acting like everything was cool. And at a certain point, I just had to answer that question in my heart. Is there something more? I'm happy enough. Well, it wasn't enough for me, Jake. If you're really willing to look, and I don't mean just try it out, then I'm telling you, Jake, you're gonna find that he's more than worth it. I'm not just gonna become some Christian. Good. I wouldn't want you to. Interesting line. <clears throat> 
I'm not going to just become some Christian. What was he saying? <clears throat> saying, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do it halfway. That little clip asks the question, you know, at some point we decide what our life's going to be about. And uh, for those of you who are graduating and going on, you know, what's your life going to be about? Is it going to be about living your life for the glory of God? Of getting up every day and saying, God, whatever your purposes are, this isn't about me. This isn't about what I desire. This is about my life being for your glory. This is a challenging text. It's asking the, the core question of life. Are you going to live for the glory of God or the glory of yourself? The world is, is trying to squeeze you into its mold. And its mold is based on what's in it for me, what do I want, how can God get me what I want. The transformed mind says, my life is not about me. I'm willing to sacrifice that life and trust that somehow God's going to resurrect it. That as I live my life for the glory of God and the glory of his purposes, that I will experience the joy of living a transformed life. I think you graduates are inheriting and have inherited a mess. <clears throat> I think it's a very difficult time to grow up. We have changed the boundary markers. We have opened up the playing field. And that's not your fault. That's ours. But you're going to have to live your life, and you're going to have to make your own choice. And every generation, every generation from the beginning of time makes this choice, and that is whether they will live their life for their own glory and be conformed to that pattern or whether they will open up their lives, give their lives as a living sacrifice and live their lives for the glory of God. Paul says, do this in view of God's mercy. What that means is he's challenging you and I to do this in view of the goodness of God, not just God's forgiveness in your life, but all of the gifts that God wants to give you. And so my prayer for you graduates as you go out from here is that as you look back on your life, you're going to live not the conformed life, but the transformed life in all the excitement that that word brings and in all of the things that God wants to bless you with in your life. Father, we thank you for this text today. Lord, you don't want us to be, live conformed lives, especially conformed to a world which is deceitful and foolish and passing away. Father, it's your desire that we would be transformed, that we would cash in our personal desires. Lord, you call them evil desires, deceitful desires, human desires. Lord, that we would cash them in and trust you that as we offer our lives as living sacrifices, that you truly are the God who you say you are, that as we live for your glory, that we, we begin to experience that glory ourselves. Lord, I would pray for anyone here today who has, uh, Lord, who is 
if they were honest, is living for their own desires and their own agenda and their own glory. Father, it says we surrender that hardened heart as we accept your mercy, which begins with Christ but doesn't end there. Lord, as we receive your spirit into our lives and your word into our lives and we're renewed in our thinking and in our mind, Father, our lives begin to change and we, we experience that transformation that you promised. Lord, for anyone here, I, I pray, Lord, that they might receive your spirit and begin that transforming work in their lives. Lord, I pray for these graduates that you'd make them wise, that you'd give them discernment to see the deceitfulness of their own hearts. Lord, our, the Bible says all of our hearts, says the heart is deceitful above all else. So Lord, just use your word, use your spirit to draw us into this place of mercy today. Lord, bless uh, these gifts now as they're given. Lord, use this time to speak to us in Jesus' name.